Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm Rob McLeod. Today, discussing class jobs, student responsibilities, and roles within the classroom. I'm joined, as always, by the cardiovascularly fit Brendan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? Not as much as I used to be, Rob, but uh, I'm trying. <sighs> Those stairs, there's a lot of them. You're a swimmer and a runner. Yeah, but not in that order. When you and I were preparing for this episode, we realized, spoiler, that a lot of classroom jobs look similar between our three types of school, the traditional, the mainstream, and the progressive. I'm going to pause myself there and just say, if you're unfamiliar with what the traditional mainstream or progressive types of school are, you can bounce back to our 50th episode or fast forward to the last five minutes of this episode, where we'll give you the reinventing education spiel in a nutshell. Today, we're talking about the mainstream approach to classroom jobs and duties. And what we realized is the actual jobs themselves probably don't look too dissimilar to what we would have seen in the traditional. And then I think today's episode is going to be teasing apart more so the why certain jobs are there. And also just this idea of kind of the range of when these are present in school and when they're phased out. So Brennan, maybe give like a little bit of a background first on what we saw in the traditional class jobs roles and responsibilities. Yeah, in many ways, this was the the easy one because this just comes to mind of what the teacher does in the old the old school. Um, you know, in, in the TVs and the movies and in our world memories of school where the teacher is just assigning tasks and, you know, they're, they're a way to teach responsibility and they're given to the kids who are best behaved and they're always very menial, giving out papers, cleaning the board, you know, the hands go up over who who's best behaved, who's going to clean the board for the teacher and the teacher's pet idea and all of those kind of things. And you know, he said something along the lines of like the teachers might say something like, I always choose Jane because she's very reliable. Um, and these jobs often get phased out quite early. Uh, sometimes jobs will be done as a kind of punishment if you haven't uh, worked hard or if you've, you've been messing around or whatever, you might have to do one of these jobs. So this weird mix of a reward and a punishment, um, but mostly to teach the responsibility and the duty. And that's kind of where we got ourselves, uh, we got ourselves really kind of, uh, these all look the same. How, how are they different? And uh, we're going to, like you said, we're going to pick that apart over the next 20 minutes or so. So the traditional, as you were just saying there, is more about the duty. It's like, this is just something you have to do. And it's part of being in this classroom. And if you're asked to do it, whether it's as a reward or as a punishment, this is something that you need to do. And it's teaching responsibility. And you mentioned it being phased out earlier. And what we mean by that is through the school, it's probably phased out earlier, not within a year necessarily. But, you know, you might see this in primary, but by middle school, high school, these kinds of jobs and duties are kind of phased out of the traditional teacher's approach to education. If we move ahead to the mainstream, this of the kind of relationship of the coach and athlete, these kinds of jobs, student responsibilities, and roles, they're there for like opportunities, but also efficiency. So of course, yes, the traditional teacher who has someone who helps hand out papers, of course, that's an efficiency thing. 
but that's maybe not necessarily the reason the traditional teacher is doing it. It's more the duty, the responsibility. The mainstream teacher is assigning some of these roles because it just actually makes our time in class together more efficient and more effective by distributing some of these tasks in order to serve our mainstream goal of success against the curriculum objectives. And we're more likely to see in the mainstream school, these jobs kind of extend into middle school and then be phased out most often somewhere between middle school and high school. Finally, if we move into the progressive approach, this is the counselor counseled relationship. The reason that we have these class jobs is more about community. And so more about like agency and like serving the whole group, whether that's the students or serving the whole group as the school. And the idea that these kinds of jobs, these roles and responsibilities actually serve us and support us. So it's not just a duty. It's not just about making our time efficient and effective. It's about committing to this work actually serves and strengthens our community in some kind of way. And we obviously will get into what that looks like 72 episodes from now when the progressive approach to these comes around. But for now, those are the kind of main differences, I think, to tease apart. And you're likely to see these jobs in the progressive school stretch all the way from primary straight up through middle school and most likely continue right up until the very end of high school. So, Brendan, if we zoom back into that middle one again, the mainstream approach, this kind of opportunity efficiency, probably extending somewhere into middle school approach to class jobs and all that. What's the why for why mainstream teachers or educators would approach classroom jobs in the way that they do? I'm going to throw something just before we go there that we say so often is you're listening to this maybe and saying, well, I, I do all of these for all of those reasons. And yeah, because we're humans and we don't have, we don't fit neatly into any one of these three models, but at its core, asking ourselves, which is the reason why we really do it? Is it more to build responsibility or is it more to get an efficient classroom? And there will be an order. And I think the key being that you might do this for all of these reasons, but when you really pushed, the order of them might be different or the amount of emphasis you put on each one of them might be different. And that's why it's a really interesting topic to get into the minutia that, you know, you might say, okay, do you really need to do an episode on class jobs? Well, no, but the, we did just one on assessment, which is huge. You know, you could, we could do 50 episodes on assessment. We were struggling with this one because it's like, it's so obvious, but we couldn't, we couldn't say what the difference was. And I think it is just that order. You're probably doing it for many of these reasons, but which is the one that takes precedence over the others. So if you get into the mainstream, looking for opportunities for the kids, looking to make your classroom a little more efficient. Um, everyone's kind of like, if you use the metaphor of a machine, you know, everyone's kind of a cog in this machine. Now that can be quite negative, but basically on its positive spin, everyone's playing their part. Everyone has their role. Everyone can do every one of these jobs. Some people might do it a little bit more, a little better than others. Some might enjoy the job a little bit more than others, but um, you're kind of role-playing the workplace almost. You're not just a teacher's helper anymore. You're kind of working in the, the, the job of the classroom, kind of the 
the classroom office that's organized in a certain way. And I know that some teachers, particularly, they will have um, the kids will apply for these jobs or that they'll be kind of you, you'll have to make your case as to why you might get this job amongst others. But also many others will just rotate through so that everybody gets it. And both of those are valid and they're both kind of mirror. They're kind of mainstream workplace where we do apply for jobs, but often we will move between roles within those jobs. Um, and they're usually the same things, in, like we said, in traditional classrooms and mainstream, it's like tidying the classroom library. If there is one, it's kind of like maybe picking up a bit of, of garbage off the, the floor, the papers, and just checking that everything's neat and tidy, sharpening some pencils or handing out some materials and things like that. It is the same kind of jobs, but this one's like, can there's so many articles out there about these kind of jobs. It was bizarre, actually, how many there were. And, you know, and a lot of them came back, like the clue as to which of the three uh, voices they were speaking in, traditional, mainstream or progressive, was which word came up first. And so, yeah, in a lot of them, that efficiency came up right in the headline. Make your classroom more efficient. And while you're doing it, you know, maybe teach them a bit of responsibility too. But it was the efficiency that like was the selling point. Mm, now you've got me. <laughs> can I, I've been doing all these jobs by myself. What a sucker. <laughs> I can, I can really make this, this machine hum. There are those kinds of jobs you're describing. The sort of almost like labor jobs within the classroom, the handing out the papers, the tidying up, the keeping a library organized you know, being on top of ensuring that there's a stack of sharpened pencils at all times that's only done during break, not during class time, so as not to disrupt the lesson, that kind of thing. But we also see some new jobs typically emerging in a mainstream classroom. Maybe not so much jobs, but more roles during the learning. So we might expand the actual list of jobs in the mainstream classroom to include some more jobs like something like chairing a morning meeting. So a traditional classroom might have circle time, for example, where maybe someone leads us in, you know, that month's song, or perhaps if it's a religious school leading in some prayers or something like that. But in a more mainstream school, you might actually have someone who's like in charge of ensuring an agenda is followed. Or even I've seen in some even primary classrooms, like minutes being kept from circle time to address, you know, some of the important things that were come up. We also see that like the expansion of roles, even just you know, during tasks, there might be someone who's in charge of being sure that we're staying on task. There might be somebody who's the materials person. There's someone who checks the rubric at the end of the work, all of these sorts of things. So there might be some new jobs or new roles during the actual lessons that do emerge into this. I think what you mentioned there about expanding the jobs also, one of the reasons to expand it is so that everybody's doing a job every day. It's not uncommon to go into it grade four classroom and there's 25 or 30 jobs on there it's like this is again to give everyone an opportunity it's not just the teacher's favorite student gets to wipe the board and if you're a good one day you might get a chance it's like no everybody's got a role and because we haven't gone into the progressive yet we're it needs to have meaning per se or a deeper meaning. It's okay for it just to be a practice and a prep for the world of work or the idea of everybody getting a, a fair chance. Um, 
And some of these jobs then become really creative. You know, I've seen it were looking at another a podcast called The Cult of Pedagogy, which is a, you know, she, I can't remember the woman's name, but she writes a lot of really cool blog posts based on it. And she's talking about a teacher who was like, had um, like a podcast that the class would do every month. And they were, you know, they had to apply. This was like a middle school one you know, they had to do, uh, or someone whose job it was to communicate with a, with a wider community or set up, you know, kind of projects that might connect to other classes and things like that on top of your average kind of jobs. But this, that kind of like, it gives you an opportunity to be, to be creative with the roles that you can, can do. Um, yeah, few, probably about 10 years ago, we, we had one of the first one-to-one computer programs in the, in the area where I was teaching. And we had like a class blog and one of our morning kind of jobs was three kids a couple of times a week would, would do like an audio blog or a, or a, a written blog, just about just a few sentences about what they were doing. And um, yeah, that was, that was super cool. And then on top of that, we had our average kind of uh, our normal jobs, but everyone got, got a chance. And um, yeah. And I think what you were saying though about leading the circle time is something that becomes more and more prominent as you move into progressive education you know all of these are we we say that there's three types of school but they're they're all on more of a spectrum moving from one end of the the more traditional end of the mainstream to to the more progressive end of the mainstream of course because it's the real world and as you get more and more kind of progressive leaning in the sense that you're trying to put students at the center then things like leading the circle time or um, yeah, taking minutes or kind of having more say in what happens in the class becomes more important. And in addition to just the jobs becoming more creative, I still remember my teacher training with a kindergarten teacher, and this was 12, 13 years ago now, her discussing her very high functioning mainstream leaning classroom and her trying to find, you know, that opportunity in everything. And, you know, one of her things was like, don't just call them, you know, floor checkers, you know, like we can, this is an opportunity to build higher level vocabulary, even with kindergarten children, you know, you can begin tossing in words like custodial, you can begin, you know, bringing in words like maintenance, all these sorts of things. And, you know, I think it was all in, in good fun and also in service of developing the vocabulary of these kids, but you know, some of the job titles to an adult were like ridiculously hilarious that it's like, you've taken essentially like floor sweeper and turned it into like an eight, eight word job title that, you know, is like kind of a fun way to reinforce this. So again, I think that's something you're going to see in the mainstream classroom, as opposed to the other two, possibly. I've got a good one of those. So one of my favorite bands is the fall and they've got a song called senior twilight stock replacer, which is a, which is like a dude who puts the, the soup cans at like on the night shift in the supermarket. That's a good one. Uh, it's cool. But um, yeah, there, there is some fun to be had with it. And at its core, it, it does give everybody a, a role within that classroom. And it can, if done well, if, if overseen and managed properly by the, the teacher, because in the mainstream, the teacher does move a little bit more into some of those management style roles a bit more explicitly every teacher is obviously managing the behavior of students and there and, and many different tasks but i think it becomes a little more explicit in mainstream and the manager 
is overseeing how everybody has a role and they come in and it does give them something to do when they come into the classroom you know your job you do it and you kind of you play your part and uh, if everyone does it um the, the the classroom works better and then we can learn more we can we can be more effective in our learning one of the things you mentioned earlier is how sometimes these jobs are for a reward in in the, the more traditional school but they're more of a, an opportunity or even an expectation in the uh, mainstream. But if you do your job well, the mainstream school is not against rewarding you with some extra time or the, the especially in primary school, the kind of box with a might have a little some plastic jewelry in there or an eraser or something like that and so and in england we used to call it golden time like on a friday afternoon for about 30 minutes if everyone did their jobs properly and was was well behaved you get reward um arguably that's actually more in line with the behaviorist kind of mindset that would underpin traditional education but because it's so explicit in the mainstream to be like it's like that transactional thing that's very in the mainstream is very much about transaction it's like you do this and you will get this and so you do your job properly and you will get 30 minutes golden time whereas if it was in the more traditional it'd be like you know if everyone's kind of nice you might get some free time on friday it's like no if you do your job, you'll get this. And even to the point where there's like sticker, like, oh, 16 people did their job properly and three didn't. Oh, you know, and like we all got to do it. It's like that those rewards can be made really explicit and transparent, which is getting back into another mainstream kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, transparent and data-based. X number of stars, X number of house points, X number of whatever, or the flip side, oh, you know, three strikes and we don't get the thing. Like it's transparent, it's clear, it's fair, well laid out, all those kinds of things. And finally, I think in the mainstream, this is also where you might begin to see like wider school volunteer jobs. So, you know, two examples I have, like at one of the schools I've worked at, there are the sports helpers. So this is a voluntary thing that some of the older students who are in sports can volunteer to do. They get some training of how to, you know, instruct kids in physical activity, how to do warm-ups. They get their first aid training. And essentially, these are the people who volunteer during like sports days when it's a track and field day. They're the ones who are volunteering their time in order to like help out and do these things, might help out with some of the coaching of after-school teams, all this sort of stuff. And it's totally done on a volunteer basis, which I find interesting. The other one was in one of my schools in Canada, I oversaw the compost club. So lunchtimes, we'd put out buckets in the hallways, students who had compostable materials from their lunches, apple cores, banana peels, etc., fish bones, like you see in the cartoons, throw those into the compost buckets. And there was a group of students, you know, who volunteered to do this. Typically, they had some intrinsic motivation. They were students who, you know, cared about environmental issues and these sorts of things and wanted to partake in this. And it was, you know, five days a week. We had everyone, I think, from grades three to eight. I think some of the six, seven, and eights kind of oversaw the younger kids and all that. Definitely intrinsic reward for doing this, but probably more so was the uh, external or extrinsic reward of twice a year, we'd have a pizza party as a thank you to them. And, you know, those two or three slices of pizza 
seemed to mean a lot to the people who got this kind of bonus opportunity, this bonus reward that others didn't. Yeah, and then again, from the outside, all of those, and, and my experience as well is, uh, you know, kids will come into the library or they'll run some kind of media club and things like that. And it's very interesting, uh, you know, there's this, again, mix of there's some expectations, maybe some duty with some, but more it's leaning towards this is an opportunity. You know, we, we want anybody who thinks that this is something that might be of value, you know, come join this. And then as you get more into progressive, it would be like, no, that would be grassroots. You would want that to come up from the students themselves and then you would support. But all in all, there are positives and that's kind of where we got to with this class job. It's one of the ones, one of the elements, everyone more or less agrees that it's good. Everyone more or less agrees how we should do it as well. So it's kind of like, do we need to dig any further? No, I mean, we don't really, but the fact is it's fun to dig further and be like, okay, but where are you really coming from on this? Where, where would we have an issue if we sat down together and it wasn't being done? And we'll get to the babies and bathwaters in a minute, the good and the, the not so good. But like, we've had this, especially early on when we were talking about the the overlapping types of school um, in our earliest episodes. And like, we're sitting down together and we all kind of agree until we don't. And then we disagree and we hadn't realized before that we were coming at it from different angles. So basically, okay, let's say the jobs are not being done. The traditional teachers like, well, they're not doing their duty. They're not being responsible. And the mainstream teacher would be more like, my classroom's just not running anymore. We can't get anything sorted. Everything's like a total mess. And like, you know, um, and then maybe the progressive teacher would be, you know, against the fact that there's no sense of community here. Again, kind of straw manning a little bit, but it's just interesting to dig in like they'd they'd all have a different thing that annoyed them or they saw as a problem if this wasn't happening. And from the flip side as well, if we take the teacher's perspective, it's like from the traditional, it's like it's cutting into my duty to be a teacher, to have to spend time to ensure these students are doing their duty. And then from the mainstream kind of coach perspective, it's like, I'm having to stop some of our instruction or the effective and efficient approach I have to our curriculum in order to spend time to ensure that my classroom can run more effectively and efficiently and these students have their opportunities. And progressive, it maybe doesn't feel quite as cut and dry, but you know, it's something like, you know, we're having to take away from more meaningful community type stuff to rediscover some of our meaning as to why we're doing these jobs. So, you know, it's kind of a fractal thing where it's like, it's not just in one place, it's like permeating through everything that's going on here. So we get to a section we call the babies, the good things. What are good things about the way the mainstream classroom teacher kind of assigns these student jobs and responsibilities? So first up, you know, the most common words on your mainstream bingo card are effectiveness and efficiency. And just straight up, a well-running class jobs, class responsibility system allows the classroom as a whole to run far more efficiently. There's much less downtime 
as some of these little things need to be dealt with and can essentially like automate a classroom environment. And as well, like present a lot of stability and certainty for students where it's just like, oh, these are how things work in our classroom. We understand this. In addition to that, we already discussed this idea of role playing for the real world. So, you know, in some classrooms, not every mainstream classroom will do this, but, you know, I think high functioning mainstream classrooms, you might actually see these jobs being advertised with a job description. You may actually need to apply for the job. You may even actually need some training, like success criteria. Hey, when we do this job, this is what it needs to look like. Not like this, like this. And there may even be some kind of performance review. I remember I did something similar to this in like my first year. It was like, we did have a few of these jobs. And every now and then we checked in like, hey, how are you doing with this? How could it be better? How could it, essentially what I was saying was, how could this be more effective or more efficient when you're doing these things? Again, it you know permeates through everything that we're doing here. Um, but it is giving real world scaffolded experience for the job world out there. You know, it's, it is role playing. It's not high stakes. You're going to be able to have food on the table if you don't get the job, these sorts of things. But, you know, it is walking us through the role play of, of some of these steps that will come later in our lives. What about how punishment is viewed in relationship to this, Brennan? So essentially, this is an opportunity. These jobs are an opportunity. And it's really kind of as simple as that. It's going to help the classroom be more efficient, be more effective. It preps you for the future, which is a big part of mainstream education, prepping for things that may come 5, 10, 15 years down the line. That is its strength and some of its drawbacks. And these are opportunities Unlike in the traditional school, it's never really viewed as a punishment to do these jobs. The, um, the notion of the punishment should fit the crime in a more mainstream classroom would mean that you would really only do a job as a punishment if you had made the mess in the first place. So basically, if you had scribbled all over the board and the board needed to be used or whatever, you'd re you would have to do some restitution to make that up. And its main function is an opportunity for everybody to play their part in making this place run well. And I'm not sure if there's much more to it than that. Um, if we move over to what we call the bathwaters, um, I think what we've started to do is see how maybe if it's viewed from other perspectives or if a, even another mainstream teacher might question, um, then we start to see how um, a different point of view from a different mindset might see how even though all of those great things are happening, how this might be uh, either not enough or it might actually be harmful. And so... If we go back to traditional mindset, a traditional teacher could potentially say, isn't this kind of a bit superfluous? Isn't the fact that you've got everyone doing all these jobs all the time? It's a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit full on that you need to have everybody running around in the morning doing like 25 or 30 different jobs. How am I supposed to oversee all this stuff? Well, I've gone from, do from somebody doing just what I needed to just give me the help that I wanted. And I'm choosing the person that I, that I know can do it. And now I've got this kind of like multinational corporation running under me with like all these interlocking jobs and I'm doing performance reviews and stuff like that. It's like, come on, 
come on, let's just, let's be sensible. Let's use common sense and just have a few simple jobs and, 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 and uh, everyone can do what they need to do. Yeah. Well, even from the mainstream perspective, they're going to have a similar concern that mirrors the traditional of just saying like, yeah, this is something that is taking a lot of time and effort to get up and running. And yes, a good running system looks good on paper and in principle, but is our emphasis on this actually taking away from something else? Should Would there be more opportunity for us? Could there be more achievement, more success if more of our attention was taken away from this? And would it be maximized put somewhere else? Because yes, some of these things need to be happening for an effective and efficient classroom happening, but maybe at some point there's a law of diminishing returns. And maybe you know, this is where the 80-20 principle comes in. It's like, well, actually 80% of the efficiency is coming from this 20% of the jobs. And this other 80% of the jobs, the other 20 classroom jobs that are going on actually aren't making things that much more effective or that much more efficient. And it's almost becoming a trope on our show, Brennan. But if we move over to the progressive approach to education, the counselor, the counseled, what will their timely criticism be of this regarding choice? It would go something a little like this, Rob. It's not a real choice. It's it's another example of the people in charge basically giving fake choices and fake opportunities to students and saying, look, look, you've got this chance to grow to be something different. And don't forget to sharpen all the pencils. You know, it's like, <laughs> so you only get to choose the stuff that doesn't mean anything. It's not a meaningful thing. The job you're doing doesn't, a few of them might actually be necessary, but not many of them. And the reason why it disappears with the older kids this is what a progressive teacher might say. The reason why you kind of phase this out in upper primary or middle school is because the older kids would just call you on it straight away. This is just not authentic at all. This isn't, why are we doing this? And they would then turn this into the notion of student agency to be like, there is a way to have the students playing a meaningful part in your school as you get older, but you're going to have to let go of some of that power. You're going to have to actually turn over some meaningful decisions to your kids. And that mean that might mean that if it's not done well, it might have a negative effect on your class. But what you said earlier about when the job's not happening in a progressive school, it would actually bring that to the fore. It would allow them to have that discussion about, hey, you know what? We've got a community here. We agreed on these jobs. We have our own responsibilities now to keep our community working. Um, but a lot of people are not doing these. So there's an underlying issue here of us not feeling like it's meaningful or not being able to hold ourselves to the values that we're, that we're, we're, we're saying we adhere to. And so it still would come back to that meaningful discussion. But yeah, basically they say, as with lots of these, it's not a real choice. It's, a, it's just you once again pushing kids around, telling them what to do, and then telling them <laughs> that they've got a say in this. Yeah, and two things I think to add to that or just go deeper to your one point. When you get up into the middle school and the high school and you get the students saying, why are we doing this? What's the point of this? I think earlier in primary, the traditional teacher can still perhaps rely on some of their authority. 
at worst, even striking fear into the kids' hearts. Like, what do you mean? You know, this is just what you have to do. And that more mainstream approach of the rewards, the the incentives, all these things, they just they don't mean as much when you get a bit older. And it's like, well, if those if those things don't mean as much, it's like it's just easier to get rid of these things higher up in the school rather than try to keep them. And I think maybe just one distinction we've been circling around a bit hadn't made explicitly is where are these roles and duties coming from? In traditional, like you said, it's what the teacher discerns is what they need in their classroom. And, you know, certainly what will serve the responsibility of these students. In the mainstream, it's still essentially the teacher who's bringing all of these jobs. They probably got a great list off of Pinterest or some blog or a YouTube video that they saw that's like, these, you know, these are the 10 most effective, efficient classroom jobs to make sure are happening in your classroom in 2022. They've got those from authority, from data, from some kind of, you know, background. And yes, I would say the mainstream teacher is more likely to receive some student input. If the students say, hey, we should have someone who's looking after this thing too, or I think we should have someone in the classroom who's in charge of this. Then certainly, I think the mainstream teacher is going to be quite open to say, oh, yeah, well, let's bring that into the mix, too. That's a good opportunity. But I would say, and again, not to totally strum in, but once we get into this progressive counselor counseled, I would say any of these jobs that are appearing have come from the grassroots, have come from the ground up, have come through the community and not top down. There may have been some discussion about, do we need these jobs? Okay, if so, what jobs do we need? And then they've They've grown together. And the mainstream teacher might do something that looks like that, like, hey, you know, what jobs, you know, should we have in the classroom? But they've nine times out of 10 already have the list of the jobs they are going to want and probably just massage what the student responses are into saying, well, yeah, that sounds like this kind of job, which I already had lined up for us to do anyways, this kind of thing. So it reminds me of a story by uh, A.S. Neal, who ran the Summerhill School, which is one of the earlier progressive schools in, in Britain from the 50s. It's actually interesting when you get into it, which areas of it were progressive and which weren't. The, the lessons themselves were actually not that progressive, but you could decide not to go and you could do other projects. But if you went, apparently the lessons are actually quite traditional. But part one of the books he was talking about, you know, they, they didn't ask the kids to tidy anything. I think it was a dorm room or something. They didn't like put any jobs in place. And they were like, they'll, they'll realize, you know, they'll tidy this stuff. And they just didn't. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse over weeks and weeks. And in the end, they actually had to step in as the adults. But then they got them together and had it more of a like a democratic kind of discussion. Listen, this is on our minds as adults. It doesn't seem to be on your minds, but we're a part of this community too. And then have a kind of back and forth. And I, I don't know if you went into too much what they decided. And I just wonder if the kids were like, yeah, we don't think it's that important that we've got like food, rotten food in the middle of our floor and stuff. So it's kind of like, that's a tricky one. And we'll get into that more with progressive because like, how do you deal with that kind of thing? But in the mainstream, yeah, for sure. I already knew this kind of list of things, but you know, I'm okay. I'm open to a little bit of... Um, a little bit of change. I'll take your ideas on board, but we're not really equal. It's not really meaningful. But all in all, you know, the the, the classroom jobs, pretty much a positive thing across the board. All the three types of schools generally use a version of it and all 
Um, it's not something that's very controversial usually. It's not something that uh, you get a lot of angry teacher or parent uh, voices about. It's kind of like, yeah, this is just something we all do in school. and It's good. What is interesting, just to contradict that slightly, I've been in some private school environments, and this was a minority of parents. This was not a majority position, but a minority of parents who say, look, we're paying to have our kid here. Part of paying this is to pay for custodial staff. I don't want my child doing any job that could be considered part of the custodial staff. I do not want my child sweeping floors. I do not want them helping to tidy up. As long as I'm paying these fees and part of those fees are going to custodial staff, custodial staff should do their job and students should do their job of learning. Well, I'm glad they got my letter. <laughs> yeah, oh. of course, as with everything, there, there, there's someone out there with a strong opinion, but um, I would say, as you say, they're probably in the minority. But tell us, listeners, dear listeners, are, are we losing our minds here? Is this the hottest button slash topic out there? So moving on from this, in our next episode, we're going to look at the extension of school jobs. We're going to move into the from the classroom into the whole school, into this idea of student government, student councils, and agency in the mainstream school. And if you're new to us and you've been searching for the nutshell, it's about to begin in 10 seconds or so from here. Thanks, Brendan. And now time for the Reinventing Education, three types of school in a nutshell. If you're new to us, hopefully this is a helpful guide to navigate some of the terminology we use on our podcast. All right, so every school and every educator is in a tug of war, and we're pulled in three different directions. Each of the three directions has its own definitions about what makes for a good education. But this tug of war is difficult to notice, because the three directions to education each use the same vocabulary but each of the three directions has their own definitions for what that vocabulary means. So let's characterize these three approaches with the following names, traditional, mainstream, and progressive. And let's connect each to its relationship between a student and teacher. So traditional uses a master and apprentice model. Mainstream uses coach and athlete model. And progressive uses a counselor and counseled model. Now, these three approaches to education would agree on the surface that education has the same three aims. Those three aims of education are for occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. However, each of the three approaches to school, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, has completely different ideas about what occupational preparation, cultivation of citizenship, and self-development requires. So how does each of the three approaches to education meet the three aims of school? Well, with traditional master and apprentice, we see that the teacher is an expert and knows the one best way for students to achieve academic success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream, the Olympic coach and athlete model, the teacher works to assess and create each student's individual optimal way, balancing the effectiveness and efficiency to achieve maximum academic success in relationship to the curriculum to meet those three aims. 
And finally, the progressive, the counselor and counseled. The teacher and student negotiate the student's path to achieve their goals for academic success to meet the three aims. Each teacher will have a preference towards one approach, while the school itself may have an overall consensus, and this is where you'll find the tug of war. These three approaches not only define how an education is conducted in the classroom, but it also informs three different directions in terms of a school's organization, its culture, and its practices. The traditional master and apprentice requires a clear pyramid of authority, prioritizing security along with duty and tradition, putting trust in those in authority to uphold their duty for the integrity of the system. The mainstream coach and athlete uses a flowchart with a mobility for all, which serves as a flexible meritocracy of authority, prioritizing achievement along with measurable progress and transparency towards meeting specific goals putting the results of those in authority as important for the integrity of this system. And finally, progressive counselor and counseled uses horizontal leadership like a circle, prioritizing inclusion along with individuals' needs for meaning and empowerment, putting the personal and group significance as important for the integrity of the system. We often see tugs of war between how to organize the overall structure, either reinforcing the pyramid, a flowchart, or a circle. Each of these three types of school can be done well, somewhat effectively, or poorly, and each can suit a specific context better than the rest. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type of school that best suits its students, staff, and community context, and do it to be high-functioning. Otherwise, the ongoing tug-of-war between the three approaches comes at the expense of time, resources, passion, and relationships while not even ensuring that any of the three approaches is done well. Here on Reinventing Education, we are exploring the idea of the next type of school, a post-progressive approach to education that prioritizes the integration of these three previous types of school. Why? Well, an integration approach would seek a flexible and adaptive balance of the three previous approaches as an adaptive approach to inquire into and provide what is deemed a best fit for students, community, and the system in a given context to best meet those three educational aims of occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development as defined by those involved. The integration value attempts to maximize the gifts when appropriate of each approach to education while discerning how to minimize unnecessary drawbacks that are required when in wholly investing in doing one approach. In order to integrate the gifts of the three previous types of school, we need to know what we have to work with. So on our podcast, we're digging deep into these three types of school and trying to tease apart the babies and the bathwaters of each one.